The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. At times it seems like when you work on your professional career, your personal life seems to fall behind. Then, when you work on improving your personal obligations, the professional part of your life begins to suffer. Is there any way to keep them both humming along at a successful pace? Welcome to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. We'll take the guesswork out of which part of you is more important and show you the success stories of others that can help you realize that you can manage it all. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life. Uh, my name is Dr. Howard Rankin, and along with my co-host, Leah Mattinson, we're here to give you inspiration, insight, and intelligence on life's issues and problems and how to better master your life. So, Leah, how are you this week? I'm fantastic, Howard. I had a wonderful week. Um, did many, many exciting and fun things and some just uh, habitual routine things, but everything in my week was spectacular. Um, how was your week? Um, well, I almost got killed in a car accident, actually, and I'm very grateful to be here. I can't, I can't even imagine. When I got the uh, email, I was absolutely <laughs> shocked because you and I had just finished our uh, recording our last show. And, uh, you know, so it's just that quickly that things could have changed that... Um, your whole entire life could have changed, and my whole life, or, or a big portion of my life, could have changed in, in just a very small fraction of a second. And that really does um, um, segue nicely into our sort of idea for living, of living every day and live every moment as if it's your best moment, the best thing that you're going to bring to the world and to yourself. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, just uh, for the listeners, I just happen to be driving down a, a typical sort of country road here uh, in Hilton Head and uh, turning a corner, and here comes a big white Lincoln tank car headed straight for me. I mean, in that moment of terror, uh, you know, spun the wheel, braced for the crash, the mangling of metal, the smoke of the uh, airbags, and uh, within a couple seconds just realized, man, I'm really grateful. I'm, I'm not sure I'm even hurt, and I can walk out of here. But I did end up breaking my sternum, um, which is the least of my troubles. Uh, I'm just very, very grateful. And uh, you just never know what is literally around the corner. It might be headed straight for you. And today's guest, Bob Morello, um, has an amazing story uh, about just that, how you never know what is around the corner and how it can change your life. Um, in the interest of full disclosure here, I should say I met um, Bob about a year ago when she was looking for someone to help her tell her incredible story. Um, and it's now in the version of a book that will be out towards the end of the summer called In God's Waiting Room. Uh, and so without further ado, Bob, welcome to our show. Yeah, hi. Thank you for having me. 
Wow, it's great. So let's get straight into this because there's so many aspects of the story. You could probably fill five episodes with it. Just tell us a little bit about your life before this life-changing event. Well, I had worked as an architectural watercolor rendering artist for the past 25 years. Um, I was uh, probably in the, the handful of the top 10 uh, rendering artists in the world. So I can say I was living a great life and working on uh, very high-profile jobs in the U.S. and around the world. I also was into horses for many years and competing in a discipline called reining. And um, I have a son, and he's uh, one of the he is the great love in my life. And uh, basically, Howard, I've um, I've been enjoying life and and uh, you know just enjoying everything about life. Um, especially with uh, the competing with the horses and raising my son, my two favorite things. Yeah, and then that all changed for you one day in 2009. Tell us about what happened. Yeah, it was November 14th. Um, It was a Saturday. I woke up, and I had been experiencing symptoms from what we thought was the flu. And uh, in that particular moment, I felt like I just couldn't get my oxygen. And I woke my son up, it was about 9 in the morning, and I said, Chris, I'm just not feeling right. And uh, he called 911, and they came out, and, you know, my vitals seemed fine, everything seemed fine. And they said, well, you could go to the hospital, but, you know, everything seems fine. So they said, if, if this continues because I declined to go to the hospital, I will add, uh, that I can call 9-1 again. So I went into the shower, stepped out, collapsed to the floor, and we, my son called 9-1-1 for the second time. And uh, they took me to the hospital, and within no time, <laughs> I was um, intubated and placed into a coma. Wow. And um, what you actually eventually was worked out that you had, you had contracted the H1N1 virus, um, which people may not know. I did not know, actually, till I connected with your story. It actually killed 12,000 people in the United States in this outbreak. And uh, it's a virus that attacks your heart and is very high risk of fatality. Is that correct? Yes, and uh, the doctor told me I got to the hospital just in time. The reason people lose their life from this, there's about a four-hour window of detecting um, whether you have this virus, and the problem is you don't know you have the virus until it's too late, so you just don't wake up. You die in your sleep. And, um, you know, I was already in the process of my organs shutting down, which is why I was having trouble breathing. I was already hypoxic. So getting to the hospital when I did was a blessing in itself because if I would have ignored the signs, if my son wouldn't have been home, I wouldn't have called 911 just out of (laughs) being stubborn. And uh, I probably just would have passed out and never woke up. Wow. So uh, you're raced to the hospital, you're put in a coma, and tell us what happens after that. Well, after being um, intubated, um, I don't know really when the coma dream started. 
Uh, after the first four days, I was on propofol, which kept me in the induced coma because I was on life support. But um, I did not wake up from the, the induced coma. I remained in a coma for the next two weeks. And in those next two weeks, or during the, I guess, the, the coma, I experienced a number of um, coma dreams, which changed my life. Yeah, and uh, they, they really are remarkable dreams. And that brings up one thing that we want to mention in passing, that people may not know that when somebody is in a coma, they may be non-responsive to what's going on around them, but they certainly are aware of what's going on around them. And mentally, there's a lot of activity going on. And that was part of your story, is these very vivid and very meaningful dreams that you were actually fortunate enough to recall when you came out of the coma. Right. <laughs> you know, the the first um, coma, I remember mm. I was looking for electricity to shock my heart because I must have heard that they were trying to shock my heart, which indeed that was happening in real time uh, to stabilize my heart rate because my heart rate was um, out of whack. And if they didn't stabilize the heart, it was going to produce a heart attack. So in my coma dream, I'm on this quest, you know, trying to find electricity. And I go through an entire crazy journey of trying to find it. Yeah, and that was interesting because um, you two, you had major supporters at your bedside. You had your sister, Carla, and your boyfriend, Mike. Um, and that presence, as we'll see, you know, was absolutely pivotal in your recovery. And they actually kept notes of actually what was happening. So you could relate these dreams to, hey, some things that were going on in your hospital room and what they were doing to you. Like the search for electricity was going on while they were cardioverting your heart. So um, that was one interesting aspect of it, initially tying these dreams to what was actually happening in the, in the hospital room. But it turns out there was more going on than that. Can you tell us about some of the other dreams that you had uh, that you recalled? Yes. Well, um, somehow each dream became more challenging than the past. And um, everything from, um, well, trying to guess at secret lottery numbers. I guess at some level I knew I was in a coma and I was trying to get out of the coma. So... Um, it, it just kept escalating in the challenge to try to find my way out. Um, and then it came to a, a dream that, you know, really, uh, if I could say it was like a Stephen King movie, um, one in particular, Record Ring Death, um, where I actually experienced my own death. And then I experienced coming out of my body and looking at myself dead. And then I heard like a news station broadcasting that I had died of a death. And it was very real to me. I really thought I had died, Howard. And the um, next thing I know, I'm on an embalming table being embalmed. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I didn't even get to tell the people I love that I really love them. And I think that was a moment for me of really knowing what it feels like to die and uh, have regret and not being able to reach out to the people I love to say, hey, I love you. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, amazing experience. Now, let's just talk a little bit about the, the meaning of the record ring death because this does tie into an important theme in your journey. Um, the record ring death, would you want to explain what that was in your dream, what the story of the dream was? Yeah, it was about um, a subliminal recording that if you listen to it, it would be your death. And uh, But the recording was all about being the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, and I guess I interpreted it as being my Barbie doll. Uh, to How to be a Barbie doll. Uh, to have this beautiful figure, long, long, flowing blonde hair, big eyes, beautiful upright breasts, a big butt. And I wanted to have that because that was the key to getting what I wanted and possibly the key of getting out of this coma. So um, in my coma dream, my mother sends me this subliminal record that if you listen to it, there's a disclaimer on it. In 24 hours, the rings will unwind off the record and wrap around your ankles and snuff out your life. And so I couldn't resist. Even though the caution label was there, um, I, I had to listen to this and be the most beautiful uh, person in the world. And uh, so th as soon as I put the needle to the record, I could see the record rings literally unwinding off the record and coming toward my ankle. And I went through this agonizing death of feeling my ankles being wrapped with this vinyl ring. And I even feel... Um, I could feel it squeezing on my legs, and I felt my very last breath come out of me. And, and that's a wonderful metaphor, isn't it, for temptation, um, that we all find ourselves in situations where we know that what we're going to do, we're going to pay a big, big price for it, but we do it anyway. And that seems to be a wonderful metaphor, especially in the context of your journey, um, and ties into some of the things uh, about your own self-image that came from your, your childhood. Do you want to relate that a little bit so the listeners can understand more about the context? Yeah. I was raised by an iron-fisted father who we were basically taught we're to be seen and not heard. He was always right, don't ever speak up. And um, if you want anything in life, you know, you have to be beautiful. Beautiful people get what they want. And uh, I felt insecure and I would never amount to anything that was sort of reinforced. And, uh, you know, just, I guess, through Cinderella and these, uh, well, you know, the things you watch as a child, it's always the beautiful woman who gets rescued by the, the prince um, in shining armor. So, you know, you just learn. You've got to have all these elements as a woman to command what you want in life. So, um I guess that's kind of what played out in my dream, that if I wanted to get out of this coma, I had to have all those elements. I had to be the best. And so it just really shows in my subconscious mind what the most important, you know, element was. But it ended up being my death, which is the irony of the whole thing. And like you say, that, that is a wonderful metaphor for life, is that we chase, you know, after these things that, um, like being beautiful, and, you know, in the end, it ends up killing us. We're, we're missing out on what really is important. Yeah, and, and your story really is about where, you know, the psyche and the soul meet because 
when I read your stories, I interpreted them to be this is about your journey and your struggle to resolve these issues. Um, and I, I think this particular dream is a wonderful example of that, that here you are struggling with beauty, self-esteem, and the need to do that, even if it's going to kill you, and you know that, and that uh, you are still still going to pursue that. And I, I just think it's an incredibly powerful uh, metaphor. I just would like to bring Leah in here just before the break. Do you, do you have any thoughts or comments on this, Leah? Oh, many. <laughs> I have many that I shall not weigh in on very much, but just the um, it's interesting that it, that the whole theme of beauty in our culture runs so deep, and I think that that's a theme for uh, anyone um, alive on the planet now that's female because of uh, this, how much we're inundated with media, never mind what our family's um, expectations are. And so there could be a whole show on that. Uh, what we're going to do after the break, though, is pick up on this um, it is, and it is really a deep and meaningful story about um, kind of keeping your soul alive. And um, that's, that's far deeper than just keeping your body alive. So the whole idea of selling your soul to the devil, you know, f- for the price of the ticket of beauty, I think it is an amazing, um, I can't wait to hear actually how you got out of that because that would be a huge bind to be in. So when we come back from the break, we'll continue to talk to Barb about her miraculous um, story and just can't wait to hear the details of how the comeback was made. Great. So we'll see you after the break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Well, welcome back. 
Um, uh, before the break, we were speaking with Barb Morello about uh, her fantastic journey. And she has a book that's coming out in just a couple of months called In God's Waiting Room. Uh, we're going to pick up, Barb, where we left off before the break. And just would love to hear, you've had this deal where you've died. What's happened? What happens next? So I'm um, laying on the embalming table. And, um, I mean, that's got to be one of the worst, <laughs> the worst feelings to know that you're getting, they're preparing you for your funeral. And um, I'm wondering, how am I going to get out of this thing? And next thing I know, um, I hear this voice saying, well, you know, <laughs> I can help you. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, where's this voice coming from? And uh, he sort of... Uh, appears to me in this dim light, and uh, I can see how the shadows are cast on his face. He sort of has this weird appearance. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, is this person trustworthy? But, I'll, you know, I'll listen to him. And he goes on to tell me about um, that I have a lobster claw hand, and I'm going to have millions of dollars in hospital bills, and no man is ever going to take me or accept me or love me because I'm deformed. I have this hideous lobster claw hand. And um, he assures me that um, if I serve him for the rest of his life, uh, he'll take care of me. And I have to tell you, it, it kind of sounded good because I really was trying to get find a way to get out of this thing. And um, so I decide to, um, you know, go for the deal. And um, at the last minute, I think, wait a minute, you know what? This this is Satan. What am I doing? I'm, I'm signing up to serve this hideous individual for the rest of my life. And I go, no, I recant the deal. And just at that moment, this amazing experience happens. Um, someone takes me by the hand and says, wow, you have just, um, you just almost signed yourself up with with a deal with Satan. Congratulations. You're, <laughs> you know, you, you recanted the deal. And this beautiful person took me to what, what I'm calling God's waiting room. I went on this uh, amazing journey. And so, and so what did, uh, what happened in that encounter Well, I've never seen eyes that looked like this. He looked deep into my eyes, and his eyes were the most incredible shade of blue. And there was light shining out from around the pupil. And he said, look into my eyes. You see? I see differently, and so will you. He said, you will see through different eyes. And he said, your heart, you have the heart of a 98-year-old. You are being blessed with a healed heart. And I'm thinking, what? I'm going to see through different eyes. I'm going to have a healed heart. What's wrong with my heart? Of course, what I didn't know, Howard, was um, in real life, uh, my heart, uh, along with the rest of my organs, had been in um, complete failure, and there was talk of a heart transplant if I were to survive. So I didn't realize that my heart actually was at a 10% injection fraction, which is not sustainable. And uh, the angel said, it's not your time to go. And we're sending you back. 
But for now, your body is uninhabitable. So rest here a while until, you know, we send you back. And it was the most beautiful place I have ever been to. I have never seen anything like it. Even the acoustics were different. Um, all the walls just glimmered and, and sh- just shined with the most magnificent mosaic tiles glimmering with blues and golds and and it was like colors that I've never seen before. It was like almost looking through um, diamonds and seeing how diamonds, you know, reflect and sparkle color. Wow. And, and so here you've been told by an angel you will see through different eyes and your heart will be healed or is healed. Um, and I, I know that you're in a coma for another seven days um, and that you have some other dreams, but then you, you come out of the coma. Tell us what happens when you come out of the coma. So when I come out of the coma, the first thing I notice is, indeed, I'm seeing through different eyes. Um, everything's kind of broken down into, um, like, blind spots. And um, so I go, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and then I see my cardiologist, and I'm like, oh, the most amazing thing happened. And I share with him what, what happened in my coma, and he said, Barb, uh, you know, you are um, on a heart transplant list. And I'm like, what? And he <laughs> said, but let me entertain this. We'll send you down for um, a, a test, and let, let's see, you know, what the ultrasound reveals. And he came back. Later in the day, and he said, wow, in all my years of being a cardiologist, I have never seen anything like this. He -hmm. said, indeed, you have experienced a miracle. He said, your heart, in fact, is so good that we would use your heart to a transplant into a reciprocant. So, I mean, that was truly a miracle. Wow. And so your heart was healed, and and, and why (laughs) does... Two answers to this question. Why were you seeing through different eyes? So I guess while I was in the coma, um, I had sustained a stroke. And uh, the stroke had caused visual and um, cognitive impairments. And so while I'm not blind, it's not like that. It's just um, caused, I guess they call it visual disturbances, which means I see through different eyes that I don't have the vision that I used to have. So as a result, I lost my career working as an architectural rendering artist. Um, it's kind of like looking through uh, perforated metal when you look at stuff. It's, it just it breaks down all the information. So if I look at your face, I might see one eye and part of a nose, a little bit of hair, some of your shoulders, and then I might miss the rest of your body. So it's if I were to put a paintbrush to paper... I wouldn't be able to see where the line stops and starts. So it's it's vision that I can get around just fine, um, but when it comes to executing fine detail work, it, it really it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and so you've gone through this experience where you've died. Um, you've dealt with what I believe to be, you know, your own individual. Pr- crises and you've resolved them in these coma dreams you've reached a point now where your heart is healed you see through different eyes how did you interpret the the coma dreams and what that really meant to you well you know it wasn't until my sister started um you know putting two and two together and saying wait a minute barb um 
when you're telling me about this coma dream, I remember, you know, Dino and I were in the room, and we were actually saying this to you. And that's when I realized, oh, wait a minute, um, kind of what was going on in the coma dreams definitely reflected what was going on in the room, um, especially after the angel experience, the rest of the coma dreams, um, I seem, it seems like I was closer to coming out of the coma. I may not have been in, in such a, a deep sleep, so what I was hearing on the outside world was really affecting the rest of those uh, coma dreams, where the, the first coma dreams, I was a very deep, um, I guess, at a much deeper level. And I would say at some point, I believe I was in a, in the spiritual realm. I don't even think I was in my body anymore, especially when I experienced uh, the Satan, uh, the deal, and the visit with the angel in God's waiting room. I agree. And I think what's fascinating about your story is these parallel things, the sensory input that you're getting, even in a coma, of the things that are going on around you, what people are saying, who's visiting you, what the nurses are doing, taking that in. But then what's going on in your dream is the resolution of some of these critical life conflicts to the point where you resolve it and you are healed. Yeah. Um well, Howard, then I met you, and, you know, through um, just talking about the book with you, somehow you put together the subconscious, uh, how that, you know, how unresolved issues have been locked up in my subconscious. So, you know, there was a few things happening. One is, obviously, uh, the stimulus from what was happening in the room affected and triggered the coma dream, but it was my subconscious that had, I guess, all the secrets of my past or unresolved issues all trapped. And so it was a combination of things happening. So, you know, through discussing the book with you and you pointing out a number of things, it sort of brought about a healing process because I could see that there was definitely um, a process here where we could look at you know, uh, my insecurities as a woman and, and see that it actually stemmed from what was drilled into me at a young age. And, yep. you know, the beautiful thing is that's a story that we tell ourselves, but that story, that dialogue, that narrative, it can be changed. We are not stuck with the narrative that we bring with us from childhood. And through think, understanding that, we can create a new narrative and, and we can change our thinking. I think as you're telling your story, Barb, the, the thing that strikes me is there was two miracles. And the first is that your heart was healed, but the second is your career was taken away from you. And so it's like you couldn't, you couldn't actually go back into um, something that wasn't serving your um, getting out of having to be that perfect woman. And it's, I just think the, the, lots of people wouldn't position it that way necessarily. Uh, but I do see there's, there's some funny anecdotes of people saying, you know, when they're trying to lose weight, that God will always make sure you burn the toast. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so you don't want to eat it anyway. <laughs> and uh, I had I had a little parallel thing in my life, um, being a personal trainer and being in fitness for many many years, and I was the like perfect. Um, uh, woman at one point and then God gave me the gift of having broken feet and that you then right away go well I can't I can't go down the path so there's an abrupt an abrupt change and then how you um, manage that or negotiate that in your head to turn it into a miracle of wow God's given me this real other clear path that I must take a different route yeah and you know I will say for the first six months Mm-hmm. Um, I was in despair a little bit because, you know, who am I? I was always defined by um, being a rendering artist. And we were treated like rock stars, and we were mm-hmm. paid like them as well. We were mm-hmm. probably some of the highest paid artists in the world. So, you know, I had this great life, and um, I was into fitness as well. I worked very hard on achieving a beautiful body and um, you know, I really tried to look like a Barbie doll, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and then the world was sort of handed over to me on a silver platter. So now, who am I? Um, what do I have to offer? If I can't be a rendering artist, then how am I going to make an income? Um, you know, who's going to want me? <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because... Um, I had been praying before this um, incident that God would make change in my heart because I could see I was going down a slippery slope. I could recognize that um, I was working very hard to maintain a certain lifestyle and to maintain a certain image. And, you know, I kind of knew it was shallow because I was always empty inside. And I was praying for God to show me how I could change my life and um, find value in my life. And, you know, this may have been um, how God changed my life. Well, there's no question about that. I guess we have to be careful about what we pray for. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know... You know, I'm stunned. That I, I mean, I know the story. I've worked it with you. We've talked about it. We've written about it. It's still, to me, an incredible story about mind, body, soul, psyche, how all of that comes together at this crisis. And you said something that was really important about we all have these narratives we carry around, and it takes something really dramatic for us to change them. And in some ways, we're all wandering around in a bit of a coma, Um you know, stuck with that same narrative and your journey out of it to something different is is truly remarkable. And for the listeners, I will tell you, we have doctor statements that say this was, as far as I can say, you know, as far as they could tell, this was a miracle that all the other patients they had with this virus either died or needed a heart transplant. And the fact that you came out of it the way you did, they cannot explain it. So I think that's I think that's I think that's really important. Um, so when we come back after the break, here you are. You see through different eyes, metaphorically and literally. You have a healed heart, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> and and the question's going to be: I know there's a period of rehabilitation as you get over this crisis. Um, the question is going to be: What do you do with that? What did you do with that new vision? What did you do? with that new heart? How did this 
transform your identity? How did this transform your narrative? And how did this transform your life? And so in the final segment, we're going to hear this incredible story continues from Bob Morello about how she took an experience of being in a coma and how it changed her life. So we'll be back after the break on Master Your Life. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. We're here with our guest, Barb Morello. Uh, so, Barb, um, we've heard your incredible story. Absolutely unbelievable. And And so after you've um, rehabbed, how has this changed your life? Well, definitely see through different eyes. And um, when I say that, I used to see the world in well, worldly ways, and now I see through godly eyes. So there's a spiritual approach to everything I do now. And um, with my change of heart, um, I embrace um, others by serving in a capacity where I lead others to experience a transformation of their heart and to be able to see through different eyes as well. And I do that through a, a couple of ways. Um, one is through um, animal-assisted therapy. And as you heard, um, I love horses. <laughs> and uh, my horses actually also helped in me in my recovery, and uh, they were also sort of what helped me when I was uh, young as well, um, through, I guess, you know, what I experienced as a youngster. So uh, using my horses, I uh, volunteer 
I actually uh, developed um, a nonprofit called uh, Seahorse Miami, and we work with uh, women in um, a drug rehab facility. And it's not just, uh, you know, drugs that they come in there for. It's, um, you know, alcohol abuse. They've been uh, human trafficking, uh, mental health issues. It's, it's a number of problems. But uh, using the horses, they, they come out to uh, seahorse and uh, experience truly transformational um, experience just, just by doing um, equine-assisted therapy and uh, also... We do um, journaling with the ladies as, as, as well, teaching them how to um, approach their life through journaling. Yeah, and so you're helping other people also see through different eyes and have a change of heart too, right? That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just feel so blessed that God has given me the second chance. And when you see the brokenness in the world, it's just, you know, it's just heartbreaking. And uh, knowing that with my second chance, I can actually do something that's uh, constructive. I just, I don't want to waste one minute of it. And I'm just so, you know, so blessed. Just like how you felt with your car accident, like you've been given a second chance. And what are, that is the question. What are you going to do with your second chance? And if there's one thing I've learned, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And I don't want to go to a dark place. I want to end up in a place of love and light. And while I have a chance here on this earth, my my uh, goal or my my passion is to um, help others find purpose in their lives and, uh, you know, also realizing that their narrative can be changed as well. Um, the women who have, uh, you know, drug and alcohol addiction, it's really not about the addiction. It's about the condition of their heart. They use drugs as a Band-Aid to mask the underlying problem. And so by changing their heart, by changing their thinking, and getting them to see that there is another way is just so uh, life-transforming for these individuals. So I just, you know, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I'm just, you know, I'm just so blessed that God gave me this opportunity and second chance. And um, I'm just blessed that I've been around horses my whole life and that horses have this amazing ability to uh, to be used. And I, I always say in the equine therapy, the reason that God made horses was to reflect back to us humans what's really going on in our hearts. And that's why they're so effective in the equine therapy, um, that through their mirroring back of uh, hidden issues, they can be revealed, and then we can have a discussion about them. And, you know, the women can can understand what's what's going on in their their soul and and make a change and you know there hasn't been one lady that has not come through the program that has just broken down into tears when they you know the revelation or the light bulb moment that aha moment that they get through the equine therapy and the success rate has been uh, tremendous and it's just you know it's just a beautiful thing to see that people can have a second chance and that 
you know, I'm being um, allowed to be this person that helps others have a second chance in their lives. I think it's interesting, Barb, that you've chosen a like such a vulnerable population of people who, um, you know, I'm going to guess probably in your former life that you would not have had a lot of those kind of people in your, um, you know, regular day-to-day comings and goings. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that for me is the interesting. It's like I go where a person goes from a life of serving themselves to a life of serving other people, that there's this huge transition. And you, you mentioned, I guess, like your passion about and in your total belief in that there is a heaven and hell and, and looking towards getting, getting to heaven and staying out of hell. And I think that the work that you're doing and hopefully what we're doing on this radio show is helping people to understand that you put yourself into heaven and hell every moment that you're alive by the thoughts that you're thinking, by the things that you're doing. And that so the um, part of the goal of these um, shows is helping people to say, what can I do right in this moment to take me into a state where I am in heaven, where I'm in peace, where I'm in um, you know, good stead with myself, where I have self-respect and self-love. And so you mentioned that you uh, do journaling and that you teach journaling and that you used to teach that in a, in a more depth. But I'd love if you could take a few minutes just to explain to our audience uh, what it is in particular that you do in journaling, what your approach is, kind of the questions you get people to ask themselves, how they can record things and interpret them. Would you be able to do that? Yes, I could. So I have a seven-step prayer journal, um, and basically it's designed to uh, help identify, first of all, what your issue is. And um, so what I've done is I've given the ladies um, these journals with, you know, the seven steps or questions written out. So it's a very simple seven-step process. And basically, the first is, what is your issue? So just write it out. It can be as simple as, um, you know, I I feel like I, I can't, stop using drugs. Um, I'm just like, I've become a slave to it, for instance. And step two is, so what do you want to change? Well, of course, I, you know, I want to stop using drugs. So step three would be, well, what, what do you do that needs improvement? So again, you want them to get to see that there's a pattern there. What can they do in their life that they could, what could they improve? Well, maybe they could pray more. Maybe they could do the work that it takes to get off the drugs, like following the um, 12-step program. You know, there's a number of things. Um, step four is, uh, what do you love about yourself? So you want them to identify that there's something good about themselves that, you know, that they can hang on to. They're not a total failure, that there's, there's good things there, too. So they'll write down what they love about themselves, like maybe they're a great mom. You know, um, step five would be, um, how may God bless you or forgive you? And I think, you know, that's a, an important process in moving forward. There's a lot of things that hold us back because we feel guilty. So she might say, well, you know, I feel like I can't be forgiven or my family can't forgive me because I keep letting them down. So let them identify that and write that down. Step six is now find a, a Bible verse that inspires or relates to your situation. Um, they've been given books that have been written. They're like um, whatever, like forgiveness. You can look up forgiveness, and it'll have a Bible verse that corresponds with that. 
for instance. And then number seven is construct a prayer from the first six, <laughs> sorry, from the first six steps. So what this has done has allowed them to identify the issue and um, create um, sort of a dialogue within themselves or create a new narrative for themselves that they can construct a prayer. So they, they write out a prayer, including the Bible verse, and they close their journal, and we hand it off to God. And we actually do the prayer together, which is really beautiful. <laughs> and then I ask them to um, continue to say that prayer, but also be uh, sensitive to when they start seeing answers come, that they journal the, the answers to the prayer, because we forget Sometimes when we go through trials years down the road, how God has answered our prayers. And we can come back to these prayer journals and look through and be reminded of, of how God is working in our lives. And one more thing I want to add is the power of prayer. If there's one thing I've learned is, is that, that when we come to God with a humble heart and we fully submit ourselves to God and pray, boy, the, the power of prayer is tremendous. And what I do now is I write down, just like I've um, advised the women to do, I write down how God answers my prayers. And, you know, it's, it really helps me pull through when I go through, you know, adversity as well. You know, I think that's, that's really important. You know, at the time of adversity, a time of frustration, a time of stress, uh, at dark times, we need to refocus on gratitude. We need to refocus on prayer. We need to refocus off that negative stuff and onto the positive things. Um, and that would make a good tool for us this week, Leah. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. I'm a fan of the journaling, as everyone who <laughs> listens knows. And I think the other the other um, positioning question that we usually um, ask at the beginning of each show is we want people to be uh, contemplating all, uh, all the time, who am I and who is it that I want to be? And you spoke a bit to that, Barb, in the second segment when, when you said like you had to get this new identity, and now what are you going to do with yourself? So I just would like to invite everyone this week to um, you know get out your journals again. And to, uh, if you need to listen back to this episode to get the seven steps that Barb was recommending, I think that those are great. Um, and that the other segment then is to always ask and answer those questions. Who am I and who is it that I want to be? And part of the journaling that I do, um, because I also practice kind of the, um, what we call it is the automatic negative thoughts versus the automatic positive thoughts. And so, um, having a mind that is always turned on to positive thinking is a, hab a habituated way of thinking. And so when people go, oh, I can't think like that, or I, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to make myself think positively when things are so offside and so tough and so difficult. And there's pretty much, um, I think if you asked anybody their story, there's people, most people have had some real challenges and real adversity uh, in their life that they can go back to and they, they can either go back to the history and they can get caught and stuck in the uh, difficult challenge and the trials or they have learned how to positively move out of it and grow and stretch. So when you get conscious and, and introspective about how, whether what's the actual tool that I use 
um, to move my life forward and to move myself out of thinking habitually in a negative way. Uh, so what I use and have used for many years is just simply a visualization about a big sign that if you can picture like a big sign the size of going to a movie theater and that that's in your mind's eye and it just says on it in big, bold, black letters, next. And so every time that a negative thought comes in or a negative experience comes into my um, sphere of living, I do see that sign. It's an automatic thing that says next. And that's inviting the next good thing in, the next good thing to come in. And then you can practice. I practice writing down a gratitude or five minutes of uh, writing down all the things I'm grateful for, or I go for a walk or I go for a quick jog, and they're quick, like it's like 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be a whole day or a half an hour or an hour. But it's matching that change in thinking with an an action, which when you move your physical body differently, it changes your emotional state. And so that's the trick. So just thinking things doesn't necessarily change things, but thinking them and matching them with an activity like journaling or going for a walk or doing a few quick push-ups or you know, doing a few jumping jacks or dancing in your living room. So there's lots of things that you can do to move yourself to a different emotional state really fast. And so Barb, you had mentioned that you go out and you see your animals and that's one that moves you into a different state emotionally. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I yes. go out and pet the horses or pick up the kittens or something to just change where I'm at in my thinking. Yes, and that is fantastic. Absolutely. And so I'm so glad you were here to, to share your story, Barb. I think it, it does give people hope about what they can, you know, that really, can you ever say that things are over? Not really. I think there's always a chance for a comeback. <laughs> uh, and so and so next week, uh, our guest next week is, um, and our topic next week is, Don't Act Your Age, Three Lessons in Health, Happiness, and Habits with Dr. Donna MacArthur. Uh, and so, Howard, do you want to just close out the show today? Well, yes, just thank you so much, Leah, for your comments. Always great um, and useful. And thank you so much, Bob, for sharing your amazing story. Um, and your book is coming out shortly in God's Waiting Room. And the, just before we close, I would like to say a couple of things that through through Bob's journey she, at her bedside the whole time was not just her sister Carla, but her fiancé Mike, and God bless Mike. He stuck with uh, Bob as she was going through all these things, and they were recently married. So oh. uh, the story <laughs> really does have a happy, happy ending. Yay! Um, <laughs> as hopefully they all do on our show. So join us next week. Thank you again, Leah. Thank you, Bob. Uh, join us again next week for another edition of Master Your Life. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericaempowerment.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 